Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature, and we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas the Bandit Mariani. And I am the Lord of Dance, Adam Thomas. Oh man, look at him go. Broke my hip! (laughs) For sure. Uh, So, our topic for the evening um, is a bit more of a somber note. Um, We are... We we had a lot of thought behind the scenes of what to do for this week. um, And, unfortunately, something kind of came into our laps. And we said, you know what, I think it's time uh, that we dedicate an episode to a recently fallen star. Especially one of the arguably biggest stars of the 20th century... Burton Reynolds, who passed away uh, just a few weeks ago, and um, we want to have a few caveats in terms of, like, when we do an episode like this, that's about somebody who died, and we're talking about both a good and a bad movie, um, we want to emphasize that it's less in any way to both praise and spite them, as much as to say that this person had a very long career, a very storied career, and that is definitely the case for Burt Reynolds, right, Adam? Oh, Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm not going to cast any, you know, bad words towards Burt Reynolds or his career. I mean, the guy's a Hollywood legend. I mean, let's face he's everybody knows who Burt Reynolds is. Everybody knows who he is. But with the career as long as he's had or did have, there were some stinkers in there. And ones that he was willing to admit, which is what... I think essentially I loved about Burt Reynolds being more sort of like a star icon necessarily seeing all of his films when I was younger. Whenever I saw Burt Reynolds in an interview like old or new, he always had a very self-effacing attitude where he is just willing to completely stomp on the fame that he had. It's not something he treats extremely seriously. He loves his craft, but he was always willing to make fun of himself. Um, Especially like if you watch any of the great Barbara Walters interviews that he did, um, just exposes so much of that. And I think that was central to his persona, is somebody who was laid back, didn't give much of a shit, but at the same time, he secretly did give enough of a shit. He put so much effort into seeming like he gave no effort. Right, yeah. I agree. And uh, supposedly he might have murdered a man in real life. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of stories about Burnham. There's so many just urban legends and myths and stories about him to where, I mean... He truly was just a huge part of the pop culture zeitgeist. And he, I mean, forever. Yes. For decades. So, I mean, kind of a bummer. But, I mean, he did live a long, long life and put out some great work. Yes. And we are going to celebrate the good work and the bad um, at least we will expose a bit further. Um, so, for those of you who might be new, um, with each episode, Adam and I come to the table with two good and two bad movies, which we alternate on. I've got the two good movies, Adam's got the two bad ones. 
Uh, so Adam's the bad guy. All hate yeah, to Adam. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, each of us don't know the which movies either of us has, um, and we randomly select them between one and ten, and whichever one the other has assigned, and whichever number that is closest to, uh, we end up doing that as the good and then the bad feature for our double feature. And so, Adam, for my two good movies, go ahead and pick a number between one and ten. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go number four. All right. You know, Adam, four, pretty number. Because at number three, I had 1972's Deliverance. Nice. Which is a movie I've never seen in full. Oh, boy. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm aware of of certain things. Um, I've seen at least up to the banjo scene that everyone's talked about. And I've obviously know of... Ned Beatty's infamous squeal like a pig stuff. Um, but also at number seven, I had one of his later uh, big comebacks, uh, Boogie Nights. Also, fantastic movie. A great movie, a wonderful God. performance from him. And th- what's great, great about great choices? What's great about that movie is he infamously said he didn't get it and never saw it. Evidently, because he was not a fan of like oh making a movie about porn stars and infamously didn't get along with Paul Thomas Anderson, which is amazing because he's so fucking great in that movie. It's one of his best performances of all time, easily. Uh, oh yeah. But wow, uh, let's get on to the other side of oh, this coin. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead and throw me a number. I'm gonna go with number eight. At number seven. You get the wonderful, influential, erotic striptease starring oh. Demi Moore. Was this the movie that came out as like, oh yeah, we're gonna get on that Showgirls money, right? Yep. Oh yes, my sir. god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've only heard legends of this movie. Oh, you've never seen striptease. Oh, no. You are in for quite a <laughs> defeat. Um, <laughs> and the, the and other choice two, I had cop and a half. You know, I'll say this much. Um, I have seen Cop oh. and a Half, but I would recommend reading um, the Twitter thread of the young man who starred in Cop and a Half. He did a recent great little Twitter thread about how Reynolds sort of became like a surrogate father to him on mm. the set. Um, I would recommend right. that more than Cop make and a Half. Like make me feel like a dick <laughs> even more. <laughs> no, it's a terrible movie. But all right, so uh, let's get into this one, Adam. Uh, put on your mustaches. It's time. Oh, it's on already. And we will continue that. Right after this. These are the men. Nothing very unusual about them. Suburban guys like you or your neighbor. Nothing very unusual about them until they decided to spend one weekend canoeing down the Kahulawasi River. Where you going? All right, I'm looking. These are the men who decided not to play golf that weekend. Instead, they sought the river. Would you like to check it out? John Boorman's film of James Dickey's explosive best-selling novel. And we are back. Uh, we have seen our double feature of Burt Reynolds films. Um, very different films, for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you could say that. 
one is a harrowing, horrible experience, and the other one's Deliverance. Um, so, <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about Deliverance, though. That is our first feature. Premiered July 30th, 1972, uh, from director John Borman, who um, people might know for stuff like um, <laughs> Exorcist 2, maybe, or probably more likely something like Excalibur, probably his most yeah. famous other feature. Um, of in Deliverance, um, and this was sort of the movie that made Burt Reynolds' career, which is weird because watching it, especially someone who hadn't seen the whole way through before, um, it feels almost like a movie that would be subverting the usual Burt Reynolds role that he would kind of have, especially in the seventies. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It just works though, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's crazy. Like when I definitely when I first saw this, a I didn't even recognize it was Burt Reynolds because he doesn't have the mustache. Yep, <laughs> but <laughs> he's got a leather vest the whole time with no shirt on. Also, it doesn't feel like it's Burt Reynolds' movie. No, that's true. I mean, it's very much an ensemble between our four leads, which we should also mention, of course, uh, John Voight, Ned Beatty, and Ronnie Cox. Um, they're all these guys that are friends, ostensibly some know some more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, go on a trip to Arkansas, right? Is it Arkansas or is it like because they're from Atlanta? But they're, like, going to... Is it just Backwoods, Georgia, then? Yeah, I I believe so. Backwoods, Georgia, yeah. What I like is, speaking of Excalibur, it weirdly kind of feels like the structure of, like, a fantasy film. In terms of these guys who don't know, you know, the environment, going off into the misty woods and uh, go on an adventure that's uh, harrowing and thrilling. Um, But in this case, it's, uh, instead of dragons, it's a bunch of hicks. Yeah, and they're really horned up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we'll we'll man. get into that. Um, so, <laughs> I, I don't know that I want to. <laughs> we will to a certain degree. You mentioned you'd seen this before, Adam. Uh, uh-huh. When you first saw it, how did it really hit you that first time? Well, this is one of those movies that always had a you know a stigma behind mm-hmm. it. It's definitely because of the squeal like a pig scene. Like I knew the tune of the dueling banjo scene before I even knew what the movie was. Everyone just because it's so ingrained. I but, mostly uh, knew it from like the Simpsons would yeah. feature it several times anytime there's a hick oh, moment. All the t- yep. It's like Deliverance, Citizen Kane, and a few other movies I just knew more from Simpsons references Simpsons. than I did from ever yeah. watching the movie. That I yeah, right, exactly. I think I was homesick. I was I know I'm pretty sure I was in high school the first time I saw this, but I was homesick one day and there was a video store right down by where I used to live, so I used to just go up there and just rent a ton of old movies for like a buck a piece. And I'd heard so much about it. So it was fine. Like, all right, fine. I'll rent it. And I watch it. And dude, I mean, I was glued to the screen the whole time. I couldn't take my eyes off this movie. Um, it, it just, it, and, and the rape scene, when I saw it, it was sort of tame, uh, the time I saw it. Cause I had already seen like pulp fiction before this, and things like that. So it wasn't nothing I ain't seen, but after rewatching it, it's definitely a little more hardcore. Well, especially compared to Pulp Fiction, because the whole thing with Pulp Fiction is like it's behind a closed door pretty much until you get like one shot of like humping, and then like all the shit happens in uh, Zed's place. As, right. as opposed to this, you just get like the full on the assaults, especially. I mean, you don't get like much of the penetration, you but get you the get humiliation and the yeah. I found this movie incredibly thrilling and terrifying and i felt like i need to almost take a shower after it it just this is movie after the first time i saw it it's just stuck with me this whole time 
What I like about this movie a lot, what I love about this movie, is, you know, people often ask about, like, what's the line between horror and thriller? That's a common question yeah. that I've often seen, with because like, those genres can often be very um, palatable and mixable, and there's plenty of horror in terms of the sort of actions that take place. But I think the big difference is really thriller is much more based on a natural human instinct. There's some sort of, like, real... Yeah, it's, hum- it's more based in reality. Right. Like, it could really happen. Horrific situations from a human point of view. Um, from either, like, the villainous side or the um, protagonist side. And I love the fact that these characters, the main four that we get, sort of feel like the four typical people that you would have in this given situation, especially sort of the masculine types that would go into the scenario. Um, where right. you've got, like, Burt Reynolds, who is much more of, like, the hyper-masculine guy. He's been down this, doing stuff like this before. Probably the guy who propagated everybody to come down here. Um, you got John Voight, who's, like, you know, decent suburban man. You know, has, like, some authority. Uh, Ned Beatty's the guy who kind of wants to go along and please everybody. And Ronnie Cox is there just to have fun. And then yeah. everything goes downhill. <laughs> How good is Ronnie Cox in this movie, too? Very good. And, I mean, obviously, most people would kind of know Ronnie Cox from, say, like a RoboCop now. But this He's is more always of the... Dick Jones. Yeah, well, of course. He'll always but... be Dick Jones. But what was kind of interesting about him in terms of his career at that time with RoboCop is it was kind of a subversion because he played more roles like this. Or, obviously, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop, um, where he was kind of like stern but lovable badass type. Also, you kind of mentioned the cultural osmosis of this movie. Most of the stuff people recognize about the movie stops at, like, the 40-minute mark. Because yeah. that's like, yeah, after, after the rape right. scene, after the, you got Pretty Mouth, that's where it ends. And that's all I honestly knew about. It's just like, obviously, like, Pretty Mouth, Dueling Banjos, a lot of that stuff. But then, once that arrow goes through that guy, it just turns into something I never anticipated it would really go. Just in terms of the shot, and then everybody's like, oh great, we've <laughs> defeated the dragon. But we gotta hide the dragon's body, because we're in Dragon's Lair. <laughs> And <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I love that scene so much where they all talk about, like, what are we going to do? And you've got, like, Ronnie Cox trying to do, like, the right thing. you got Burt Reynolds being, you know, just like, are you fucking kidding me? That's not going to work here. It's such a well-acted moment. That feels like the moment, really, where you kind of realize, like, this is the moment that made Burt Reynolds a star. And a badass. Yeah. Like, to me, this is what... You know, when you think of Burt Reynolds, you think of him as being sort of a tough guy, or did anyways. Really, it's from this movie. I will say, I love Ronnie Cox. I love Ned Beatty. I, dude, I just can't get past John Voight. Okay. I, I just there's something about John Voight I've never ever liked. I don't know what it is. Now, is he good in this movie? Sure, but I still have this disconnect where I'm looking at John fucking Voight. For some reason, I've never been able to get into John Voight as a character, like, into his characters that he's playing. I just always see John Voight. So, I don't know what it is. It just bothers me. that I got, I got like, three actors like that, and he's one of them. Isn't but, Travolta, uh, we've discussed this with another one Travolta of them. Travolta and Dennis right. Quaid. Really? Dennis Quaid? Yeah, I can't fucking stand Dennis Quaid, man. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I get shit on that all the time. People are like, how oh, could you not like Dennis Quaid? I don't, I don't fucking like him. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, Dennis Quaid I'm just more apathetic to. Like, I don't have care one way or the other about Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid is apathy to me. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a t-shirt. Dennis Quaid yeah, is apathy. Dennis Quaid is apathy. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know, like, I, 
I mean, John Voight, to be fair, in my experience, I, I kind of grew up more in the era of John Voight being a joke. Like, I think I remember the first John Voight movie I ever saw was, like, Anaconda. Dear God. <laughs> my, my, most of my experience has been garbage John Voight years. I don't know. I think in this movie, I like it because what works about him here is he's playing off of more of he's... Like we mentioned before, he seems like he's a guy who's like, oh, I've got it all together. I'm just having fun with my bros down here on the river, having fun. And he sort of has to take on the badass role, like what he wants to do, once Burt Reynolds goes like out after he hits that serious leg injury. But he realizes he like, can't do it. Like, I love the scene with the arrow after he climbs, which, by the way, John Voight actually climbed up because they needed to save money. <laughs> he climbed off that fucking cliff. Any of the That's scenes insane. where you see him climbing. Yeah. Ever. Oh, no, Ever. never. Not at all. Get away with that. <laughs> nope. Even in the smallest of budget movies, there'd be no way. The, the, the Hollywood studios would take Burt Reynolds' life, like, I don't believe in insurance, and be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that line, too. It's a great yeah. sort of um, irony uh, that that takes place. The, uh, the whole scenes when they're on the rapids, I mean, what, how thrilling. And it, it, this movie is very well shot, too. Yes. Um, and when they get in the close-up scenes, especially in the infamous scene, it's disgusting when you see his teeth and or lack of, when he's squealing. And I mean, it, it, you just feel it. It's grimy. It's gross. But then it's got these beautiful, like, just nature shots and Burt Reynolds, like, wet, hairy chest <laughs> and arrows and leather vests. I mean, it's just... Dude, this movie... The reason it's so well shot, obviously we should mention, this is an early film of famed cinematographer Filmos Sigmund, who shot films afterward, like uh, The Sugarland Express, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Deer Hunter, Heaven's uh, yeah. Gate, Blowout. I've never, I've never heard of any of those. No. Um, Obscure. Yeah, this, this guy seems pretty smug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely one of those movies where it's like, I think it just has a... A reputation that doesn't do the movie justice. Like you said, everybody knows the first 40 minutes of this movie, and that's it. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame. It's it's the Ned Beatty rape movie. It's, it's definitely one of those where the cultural osmosis doesn't do it quite the justice. Because especially what I think really makes this movie especially work now is it feels like a movie about man's hubris. It's a movie about, like, these city guys going into the backwoods, thinking they can control the place. And it's like, no, this is nature. It will fuck you. It will kill you. <laughs> Don't mess oh, yeah. with it. They're, they're 100% outsiders in this environment in every way. Especially the way the opening narration, uh, sort of like the back and forth that you hear between them, does such a great job of setting up who these guys are. Where you, you've got, like, the very naturalistic dialogue, too, of just going back. With, like, literally one of them says, like, oh, we're going to rape this land. We're going to rape it. And there's a pause, and somebody's God. like, I think it's John Voight who says, like, that's an extreme point of view there. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but it, it shows, once again, it's these guys coming into uncharted territory and thinking they can just conquer it because they're silly hillbillies. That's what I think works about the dueling banjo scene so disarming. Where you feel like they just come in and it's like, oh, aren't these like adorable hick yokels that are here and they can masterfully play the banjo and shit like that? Just a surprise to them. It's just a, the first instance of them realizing like, oh, this is a bit unexpected. And then just going down a whole nother path with that. That's much darker, much more disturbing, much more Yeah, cruel. it gets, well, even the dueling banjo scene, I, I don't know if this is exactly what you're referencing, but, you know, after the kid starts outplaying him and just doing better... You almost get this sense of where they're almost creeped out by it, by this kid, because he's just shredding this banjo. 
I think it's the moment where the jig comes into play, which oh, that's I love. So creepy. Oh. <laughs> it's it's pre- and apparently that was also just something that the hick, who was like an actual hick in that area, like they just cast local extras, did. Just, Even creepier. <laughs> yeah. God. So those are genuine reactions from everybody, just like, all right, this is weird. Because um, like Maybe we said, it's we like... we hit the old dusty trail. <laughs> <laughs> God. No, but it, it it is. It's like a bunch of, you know, that era dude bros, you know, going out to make nature its bitch and rape the land like they were saying. And then, nah, man, you guys are way out of your element. Way all their confidence means nothing. It literally just becomes a battle to just survive. And th- they almost don't. Well, and, no, um, Ronnie Cox doesn't. Yeah, uh, but no, yeah, Ronnie Cox, you know, poor Ronnie Cox, he's like one of the most likable guys in the movie. And by the way, I love the fact that when they discover his body, his arm is over his shoulder. And apparently, Ronnie Cox is double-jointed, and he came up with doing that. And that's, like, the detail that makes that scene work so well. Oh, yeah, you could tell he's double-jointed. I mean, the fall in RoboCop. How crazy he got his arms that long and everything. God damn it. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes, uh, the the dead body of Ronnie Cox uh, showing up there. Um, I think is that's such a wonderful moment, especially where moment where they think they can carry the body, and they just realize, like, no, this is dead weight. We can't fucking do this. And he just oh, says that thing about his kids. Too. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh my god! I think that's the first time you hear about just like, oh, you were a wonderful husband and a wonderful father to your two kids. Like, oh, fuck. oh, I know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, could you? Obviously, I don't think you're ever going to go <clears throat> rapid. You know, doing the rapids in Hick, Georgia, with three other buddies. But could you imagine if one of you? got hurt or seriously injured, and you had to just leave them? I mean, to be fair, I've done this in Florida, which is probably you even... one of your three buddies somewhere? <laughs> no, no, it was one of my family members, Adam Jesus. Oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> but no, I've gone, like, um, sort of rap- on the rapids in, like, rural Florida, which is probably more dangerous in retrospect. I was a kid, too, so it's way more dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> especially just, like, literally fucking alligators everywhere. But no, there is there is that sense of danger, and the movie really captures that, about just, like, you are on the uncontrollable parts of this, you know, waterway. It's it's the rapids just, like, take you, and if you fuck up, it hurts. I've done that. I wiped out once. Not great. <laughs> oh, I see. I never did it. I I... Yeah, no. The most I ever did in Florida, when I lived down there, I took a little motorized boat and went and looked at a bunch of manatees. <laughs> and that was enough. Even then, I'm like, these things are big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they might hurt me. They're literally they called sea cows. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, after seeing this movie, I never want to do it. So No. <laughs> I don't know, I mean... I'm good. I don't necessarily recommend it, um, but um, let's talk a bit more well, about Ned. It depends on what you're into. That's true. Let's talk a bit more about Ned Beatty, because out of all okay. of them, Ned Beatty is the one we've neglected the most, and it is such a tough performance to do, considering, oh, yeah. obviously, you're being, you know, degraded, emasculated, all of that, but what I love about him is just the shock he goes into after the incident happens, where he's just sort of dazed, and the only kind of 
rush of energy he has is when he like all tries to attack the guy as who's dead mm-hmm. there at a certain point. It's an amazing performance that obviously is only just known just because of the squeal like a pig bit. Sure, but it's it, it, especially like even as things go on from there, he's a changed person after that. He is not the same guy who we saw jovially just wanting to pal around with the guys and be kind of awkward. He has to, he takes on so much more responsibility. It's, it's all because like, you can really see that that changed him in a way that like, just lost any innocence that dude still had. Oh yeah. I mean, and I mean, obviously it would change anybody. Yeah. I mean, but, and as good as Burt Reynolds is in this movie and he is good. I I think this is Ned Beatty's movie. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why even when I said earlier, it doesn't feel like a Burt Reynolds movie. Yeah, it's an ensemble piece, but man, Ned Beatty, you just he just goes from point A to point B with an extreme transition. To be fair, uh, Ned Beatty is a scene stealer by trade. Um, oh yeah, he's fantastic. Net, Network I, being my favorite example. Oh my god, he's so good in Network. It's one fucking. Scene I want to keep so that good. in the back. I want to keep oh, that sure. in the back pocket. I love that fucking movie. It's such a great movie. It's so fantastic. No, I mean, and he is just, he almost comes off almost annoying in the beginning of the movie, his character, mm-hmm. where he is so joyful and, you know, really kind of like nerdy and almost nebbish. And, but then what he goes through, and it's not even, obviously, of course, the act of the actual penetration is horrible, but just the humiliation and, you know, squeal like a pig and all that. It's like, oh, my God, dude. They just mentally and physically destroy him in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you see it. You see it on his face. You see it in his performance. He's completely different. That's got to be rough to pull off. It's got to be. And, in fact, uh, I believe that they only filmed the rape scene once. It was a one shot, one take. Um, Because Beatty was like, I'm not doing it again. Yeah, I wouldn't want to do that again either. <laughs> no, dude, no. I mean, that's got to be so physically and mentally taxing, even on an, even though it is his acting and you know you're acting. But just to go through that, even as an actor, it's got to be rough, let alone the real thing. He and John Voight play off each other so well because they have pretty much like the second half of the movie together. It becomes like a two-hander yeah. between the two of them throughout the second half of the movie. And I think that's what works so much is that it contrasts so well with like Ned Beatty has clearly been changed and it contrasts perfectly with John Voight trying to take on the heroic role. Like, he's trying to be the Burt Reynolds, like I said before. Oh, yeah, and the how alpha. Just, yeah. yeah, the alpha, and how he just can't quite get to that, because it just it's there's so much, obvious stress involved in that, especially when he... The, the moment where he tries to shoot the guy with the arrow is... Mm. I think that's where I would say it's probably John Voight's moment of the movie, where he can't fucking do it, and then he falls on the arrow... And then the guy comes uh, over, and you think for a second, like, he's got to fucking shoot that guy in the head. And then he falls over, and then checking the tooth and seeing the false tooth, and he's like, is it him? I don't know. I can't tell. I'm just a white city boy. I can't tell these people apart. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I mean, that's a pretty harrowing scene. And mm-hmm. like I said, he is doing a fantastic job in this movie. It's just I can't, for some reason, get past my goddamn block with this guy. And it's It's horrible. And I, mean, I consider do, myself a movie fan, and I'm able to watch anything, but for some reason, John fucking Voight. You just see his eyes, and you're like, Angelina? Is yeah, and it looks like his <laughs> eyes are like his coin purse textured face, or <laughs> whatever it is. Or, you know, or his incredibly dimpled chin. Yeah, and his really weird facial hair. <laughs> where it's like there, but it isn't. 
<laughs> like it's, I don't know, man. But I did like the character arc quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I do like that once Burt Reynolds is sort of taken out of action, one of these guys, being obviously John Boyd's character, really tries to step up to take his place with none of the skill level, none of the instincts. He's just trying for the rest of the movie to do it so he can survive and keep you know the, them safe. And it, it's it, you really kind of you do feel bad for the character. Where it's like this poor bastard doesn't know what he's doing, but he's just giving it everything he's got and he's just going through this hell. But God damn it, John Voight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might have been more interested. Uh, I did read uh, several people were asked to be in the movie. Um, one of them being... You say Dennis Quaid, I'm quitting, I swear to God. No. Um, the, the main one who they asked, who refused and regretted the rest of his career, Donald Sutherland. For the John Voight character? Yes. Oh, I could see that. That would that would honestly really work too. I agree. That yeah. would be good, actually, because mm-hmm. he would be Especially the perfect this era, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, right. Obviously, we talked about uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers several episodes yeah. ago. Uh, this would have been around that time. But yeah, uh, I I still think John Voight does pretty well, especially after they get out of the rapids. Like I I love the fact that they get out of the water, and it's like oh everything's fine, except it isn't because they're ne- they might get caught by the cops. They're gonna yeah. live with this the rest of their lives. And I I love the bit where Ned Beatty walks away from his, Ned Beatty's last line of the movie, just like I think I'm not gonna see you for a while, and <laughs> just leaves. <laughs> you just remind me of this time. I mean, and I whatever. hate it. That's probably the last time he's ever gonna speak to them. Oh, probably. <laughs> that guy's fucked up for life, dude. Yep. Uh, how it, it always goes around in the trades and on the line and everything. That there was talks of maybe redoing this movie. Hey, what? I don't think you could redo this movie. Do you think there needs to be a redo of Deliverance? I don't know because it also feels kind of like a movie of its time in terms of specifically well, it's dated. Yeah, well, it's dated. Well, no, it's, it's not necessarily dated. I think that it's a very much a period piece. In terms of especially the whole thing about building the dam and destroying this whole town, that is much more of like a seventies era thing versus like now we're living in the post, like building a dam and drowning out these hick towns that don't really exist anymore. Right. Um, but I think that's what makes it work, and why I would agree that you shouldn't really do a remake because I can just see the fact that like it's so much of this time, and the ending just makes you wonder about like if any of these guys are still alive. This is something that's lingered with them for so long. And something that is just haunting them forever. It's something that they're going to wake up screaming about, like John Voight's at the end of the movie, for the rest of their lives. The rest of their lives. I mean, they're completely mentally fucked. Yeah. In one capacity or another. They're handicapped in one way. I mean, it's just, that's it. I used to always describe this movie to, like, friends and stuff, and who we would talk about and never seen it. And always had a stigma, you know, and I'd be like, no, it's not really that. I think the hills have eyes light. <laughs> that's kind of deliberate. Oh, or like the, the the hills have eyes, but good. I said it. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're <laughs> talking much. the original, yeah, I don't mind yeah. the remake of Hills Have Eyes so much. Right. But the original's so bad. It's so bad. Wes Craven's somebody who we need to do an episode about, just because there's there's so much bad that people don't acknowledge. There, dude, there's. I honestly, I mean, not to get into it, but there's more bad than good. Oh yeah, I, I would agree with that. The good just really sticks out because it like changed horror history and it aren't are genuinely really good films. If you want a worse exploitation movie, watch uh, La- Last House on the Left. Not a good movie. Oh my god, not Def- at all. 
them has more bumbling cops in it than fucking Smokey and the Bandit does. <laughs> and Duke's a hazard and everything else. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to close with this. Sure. So, Burt Reynolds had said many times after this that uh, this was the best film he'd ever been in. Mm. True? Man, that's really hard because I really, really like Boogie Nights. Yep. And, I mean, I honestly think that's his best performance ever. Let's put it this way. Maybe for the most lasting and cult status and iconic, yes, I, I would say Deliverance. But personally, I'd say Boogie Nights. Yeah, I think Boogie Nights is my favorite of the films he was in. Um, I think if you want the... What would make a good double feature with this um, is, I would say, if you want the best sort of of the Burt Reynolds persona, um, Longest Yard. Oh, the yeah. Origi- the original oh, Longest I mean- Yard is a phenomenal sports film. Um, I don't even know why I didn't think of that. That's such a good movie. It's it's a great it's a great film. Um has one of the best just sort of like final game sequences I've seen in any sports movie whatsoever. And also a perfect example of Burt Reynolds's general character. His yeah. suaveness, his um lack of caring about authority especially, but always sticking up for the little guys. Um, also no mustache. Also, no. Well, except for the beginning, he has it in the opening. Right, that's true. That's and true. then it's shaved off, and that's when you know business is real when that happens. <laughs> right, because that they care about that in jail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, yeah, I would agree that like that. That's a good movie to introduce like the persona of Burt Reynolds to somebody. Well, I and, would throw Smokey in there then for that, right? Too, for the light comedic Burt Reynolds. I, I'm, you know, I didn't I'm not a fan. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge I didn't, fan. I didn't watch Smoking the Bandit until, unfortunately, he passed. Um, it, it shows the real power of him and Sally Field as, like, as actors. And that movie yes. isn't all watchable. They are so good, <laughs> yeah. they make everything like work somehow. Like, them in the car stunts make that movie tolerable. <laughs> no, I that, agree with you, 100%, yeah. Because it's not Jackie fucking Gleason. Um, <laughs> oh, God, no. So God, terrible. no. Uh, but we're getting off track. I, I would yes. agree that I think um, Deliverance might be also just... It, it's probably the best in terms of not just like the same power thing like you mentioned, but also I think in terms of just pure acting from Burt Reynolds, I think it's got so many more flavors of him than any other movie in terms yeah. of, like, obviously early on, badass, um, kind of sinister, kind of just mm-hmm. like morally bankrupt in certain ways. But then also, when he is like in writhing pain... After he gets that leg injury, it feels genuine. Oh, there's yeah, even, dude. Like, there's even the point after they get rid of Ronnie Cox's body where he kind of wakes up and spasms. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. you know what? Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. I think even overall, not even Burt Reynolds, but overall, as far as acting quality throughout the movie from everybody, this one's probably a little bit better than Boogie Nights, too. Because yeah. Mark Wahlberg's not in this movie. But, like, everyone else that's awesome is in that movie, though. I know. <laughs> Heather Graham's kind of rough, too. <laughs> Roller girl, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, but you know what? Let's, let's segue. Final thoughts about sure. Deliverance, Adam. I think Deliverance has a, a reputation that tarnishes it. Is it harrowing? Absolutely. Is there a hardcore man-on-man rape scene? Yes. Is there gruesome leg injuries and whatnot sure um is there john void absolutely but it's it's more than that it's just a good thrilling movie and it's not a, i don't even want to call it like 
you know, lump it into, it's just an entertaining movie. No, it's a good movie. It's well done. It's well acted. It's well shot. It's got a lot of character arcs and character development, but it gets lumped into the horror genre for some reason. I don't think it's a horror film at all. I, it is a thriller. There is horrific elements to it, but I don't think it's a horror film. So I think that also kind of gives it a, a reputation that it doesn't necessarily deserve. I think this is one that should be more of a mainstream classic than it is. And I think, you know, not just because Burt Reynolds passed, but I think people who haven't seen this movie should really seek it out if you're into thrillers and suspense and nail-biting movies. I think this is right up almost anybody's alley, as long as you don't mind, you know, a couple graphic things, that, but that but that aren't gratuitous. That's another thing, too. The man-on-man rape scene is not gratuitous. It's not thrown in there just to do it. There's a reason for it. it there's it, It's in there to make you feel something and to change the, the Ned Beatty character. I just think this is a movie that still needs to be discovered by so many people. And I think people just shy away from it because of its reputation. I think that's a real shame. As someone who hadn't seen the movie before uh, this show I, I remember i'd seen at least the first up, up to the dueling banjo scene um while very under certain substances let's just say um Aww. and and My that <laughs> um it was it was way too late at night too i was like flipping through channels at like three in the morning and i'm like deliverance i'm like no i'm too tired for this i can't get that's probably with this. a good decision that was yeah, probably that, a good that was a very good decision um but in a now, in a more calm, sober state of mind, um, it is an incredible movie. I agree. It's, like I said, it's probably the best Burt Reynolds performance, but it's also, like you mentioned, the best performances of probably all of these gentlemen who are in here. And I think it's something that should be watched, especially for how it kind of shows a lot about toxic masculinity. I think makes it resonate very well in a modern age, which is some of these characters wonderfully shot um john borman does a great job of immersing you in this world uh before he just like throws you through the ringer on it because i remember this came out and was nominated for best picture and screenplay and all that stuff the same year as like both a movie we watched previously cabaret and the godfather which dominated that oscar season kind of let this one in the dust um it deserves to be i think up in that upper echelon with those films i would say of like great 70s era New Age Hollywood, just awesome movies that, you know, most people, when they think of it, they think, like, Godfather, they think of, um, you know, like, the rise of Steven Spielberg, George Lucas coming in there, obviously, Francis Ford Coppola, those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. it's an, I think John Borrowman deserved to be more in that camp than he was. Um, yeah, I agree. Godfather, huh? Well, this movie had no chance. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, um, speaking of maybe not as award-worthy, oh, our, our bad feature... Striptease. Aaron Grant is desperate. And desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm in a pretty bad custody fight. I can't still be working here when I go to court. Oh, yes, Your Honor. I've got a job. I'm working at the Eager Beaver. Aaron has many interesting men in her life. He's a party goers. An ex-husband. He steals wheelchairs. Thank you very much. We had a good day, baby. A United States congressman. Why are you all shiny? It's Vaseline. I can feel it squishing between my toes. Castle Rock Entertainment presents... Strip Tease. You're Mrs. Grant? No, I'm Barbara Bush. Who is he? George Bush. 
I'm going to go ahead and ask you, because I know you had never seen this before. Nope. Uh, you hit it right on the head with, is this one of those ones that came out when Showgirls was out? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, I remember the marketing for this movie, and I saw this movie right when it came out. Not right when, but when it was on video, because Demi Moore's naked in it with her new boobies. Like, it was a huge deal. Right. <laughs> is this the worst movie we watched yet? I don't quite feel that way. It's bad. It's For me, I think what makes it at least not the worst one we've watched, I think is all the cast and not at all the writing or the direction or the editing. <laughs> I think that's the thing is, I think, you know, it's not just because he's the subject of our episode, but also I think um, you might agree. Burt Reynolds, this is the best part of this movie. Oh, the 100%. There's um, no question. Because... Um, I, I don't think, and it's also like, I don't think Demi Moore's doing the worst job she possibly could have done. Um, I think No, but being, it's a TNA movie. I mean, well, she well, the, knew what she was in it for. Well, the word, that's the bigger problem, is this movie, I don't know what the fuck it wants to be. Because, <laughs> like, I think it's a comedy, but then it's also like a crime movie, a TNA right. movie, and it doesn't do any of those well at all. No, none. That's the thing. I mean, they don't even bankroll the movie on the nudity because you got to figure the nudity that's in it. it it's what maybe thirty seconds. And I mean, the, there's the there's com- like one, there's one extensive scene where she actually does like a strip routine that's like poorly like chopped together and shot. That's what I'm saying. You don't even see anything. That's no. uh, from what you actually see. Maybe thirty seconds total. Maybe. Burt Reynolds, he's going for it. Yeah. You gotta give him that. He's going for it, man. I love the bit where he's at the nursing home, like, Jewish retirement ceremony, and he just does high fives all around the group and shit <laughs> like that. Uh, and he, this uh, was a role he was apparently gunning for. This was a role he really wanted to do because Reynolds was, while born in Michigan, was very much a Florida boy. Grew up in Florida. Obviously, I went to Florida State. He's a very prominent figure and probably the most famous person to graduate from Florida State. And he based the character of this congressman that he plays on a lot of, like, sort of the political types that he would meet because his father was a sheriff in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say this also, and this might be slightly why I also give it a little bit of leeway. This movie gets Florida very accurately. <laughs> it's accurate as fuck to Florida. <laughs> Especially the Fort Lauderdale area where it mainly takes place. Yes. Very accurate. Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I guess it does. <laughs> I've got a lot of these characters. I mean, and I by the end of here. the movie, Robert Patrick becomes Florida Man. Yeah, but dude, how... <laughs> Poor Robert Patrick. Um, I mean, yeah, this is, this is post-T2, so this is him... Trying to find a groove for him, dude. Yeah. Um, Well, all right. The the '90s post T2, where he was getting work (laughs) steadily in big projects, but he got like all of the worst projects he could do, except like the only exception would be Copland, but nobody saw it, and he's great in Copland. (laughs) He is good in Copland. Copland's just a good movie, period. But anyways, God, he is good in Copland. But and then you got fucking our, you know, Les Armando Sante. For God's sakes, who well, is this? Only, like, I only really know from, like, Judge Dredd. Like, that's all I know him from. <laughs> I've not the... seen the movie Fatal Instinct. Is that the Fatal Attraction parody? Yes. I 
am vaguely aware of it. I've never seen you it. You should see that movie. That's one of the great parodies. Okay. And he's the main guy in it. You said there's a good cast, and I'm, I'm looking at the rundown here. Is there? No, I, 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 I mean, I don't think Demi Moore's too bad of an actress. I, I like Ving Rhames, obviously. I, think I like he's, Ving Rhames. He's trying a lot <laughs> with this part. I think even Robert Patrick is, like, one of the few genuine laughs I got in the movie is after um, he beats that guy to almost to death with a golf club, and then he comes in and is like, how's it going, fellow partygoers? And it just holds on him dancing. <laughs> I really love that bit. I, I like um, Sibo and Fallon, who you might recognize from like Men in Black, amongst other things. She plays his sister. Um, I, I think there are good cast members in here. They're constantly portrayed more by uh, Andrew Bergman. And Andrew Bergman, for those of you who don't know, is a writer-director who um, was one of the original writers on Blazing Saddles. And from there did some minor comedy hits of the 90s, like The Freshman. Um, or Honeymoon in Vegas with Nicolas Cage. Um, and the Freshman, was that the one with uh, Brando and yes. Broderick? I yes. like that movie. Yes, um, so he was you know, good at doing mid-level comedies. So this is like a bigger project for him, bigger cast, and like you mentioned, it's kind of riding the wave they thought would happen with Showgirls. Um, hey, this movie made more money than Showgirls. Yes, that is true. Um, it did, and it was, and they were both, to be fair, kind of riding in on the wave of Basic Instinct that obviously Paul Verhoeven of Showgirls created. Um, that that kind of like boost of like erotic thrillers that kind of wove into you know this, which like I said, it's trying to be a thriller at points, trying to be a co- crime movie. The the tone shifts maybe every constantly. scene, yeah, constantly. <laughs> and then it's like you're supposed to give a shit about her daughter. And also, Armando Santes is like knight in shining armor cop. This movie's so all over the place, dude. I, I I get lost in the plot of this movie. That's true. Yeah, it's hard to do like a plot synopsis because it's like um, she's stripping. It's I think probably the biggest mistake to me with this movie, amongst many, is that the movie starts off with like her in her custody battle. It's like, oh, I need a job, and then she's just immediately working and knows everybody at the strip club. It feels like we're missing something. Like, yeah, wouldn't right. the whole point kind of be, like, she gets this job, and she's like, oh, I'm embarrassed, and then you kind of get to know the people at the strip club, like Ving Rhames and everyone else. It feels like a first act was, like, completely edited out of this movie. I agree with you. It, it, you know, it, they should have done the scene where she's at the strip club, and then the custody battle, to where, you know, she's not getting custody because she's a stripper, which unfortunately does happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like, I agree. Oh, God. Well, she's not working, blah, blah, blah. Gonna get a job. And then she's insane, like, the top dancer at this club. Everybody loves her. She loves everybody. She knows everybody. You know, she's got this weird, like, repertoire with Ving Rhames' character. Well, how fucking long has she been working there? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're we're totally... They could have given a six months later, sort of, even a title card. I hate that sometimes, but it would have worked. I don't know, that wouldn't have worked for me either, just because I, I think it's, they want to make the strip club, like, kind of endearing, obviously with, like, Bing Rames, obviously, like, the other strippers, especially as things go on later, and there's all this, these points where her daughter, played by Demi Moore's actual, actual daughter with Bruce Willis, Rumor Willis, mm-hmm. um, uh, who I think, like, they have, like, that chemistry feels obviously authentic. Sure. Like, and the kid's cute, even though it's weird, like, she's essentially, like, especially if you see her now, it's just pretty much Demi Moore, but if you put Bruce Willis's chin on, yeah, hundred percent. That she's played, she's played 
their child in at least one other movie that I could think of. Right. Yeah. Um, hostage. She mm-hmm. was his daughter. Yes. But yeah, no. You look at her now. She's a hundred percent Demi Moore, just with Bruce Willis's jawline and chin. Yeah. It's um, very, very alarming. <laughs> but 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 that's the thing is that like they with her like they they make all this big deal. There's a scene that like baffled me. One of many, but the real big one that baffled me. She is talking to her daughter and she's like, "Oh, you saw me dance. Oh, I I didn't look pretty at all. No, you did, mommy. You did." It's like, wait. So is this more about you like de- being degraded yourself, or are you not giving a shit about your daughter watching you strip in a strip club? Right, well, yeah, why was your daughter at the strip club? Why did you, so, bring, like, maybe you don't deserve custody if you bring your daughter to the goddamn strip club. Bring, right, you bring your daughter to the titty bar, I say, say it that way, you bring your daughter to the strip club, and you let all the other dancers and the bouncer watch her. And that's supposed to be endearing, but it's just kind of nah, sitcom and lame. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's gross. gross, and it's also sitcom and lame, the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, like they want to have jokes where it's like, oh, we're doing shoots and ladders, and Ving Rhames is losing, and the and the monkeys. Oh god, the monkey! How many oh, times god. do they cut to fucking reaction shots of the goddamn monkey? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's when you know a comedy has failed. Is it's like let's cut to animal reaction shots as much as we can. Like one is fine, but when you keep cutting to the monkey, you fail. It's that's a cinematic technique. Cut to the monkey. It's the film oh, equivalent yeah. of Jump the Shark. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. And. For me, one of the worst through jokes of the movie is the tendonitis, where he's got tendonitis in his wrist from oh, jiggling their breasts. Uh, yeah. Like, get out of here with this, dude. Hey, man, it's not all fun and games. And you're like, okay. Oh, and the Meryl good. Streep joke that she like uh, used to be a dancer and was like... Yeah, she was like Chesty LaRue or something like that. We referenced Dave with Deliverance. Like, th- these two movies are a good example of, like, one movie feels of its time in a fascinating time capsule way. This feels more dated because it's presuming this is cool. It's presuming that, like, the jokes it's doing are current and hip, but it all feels so dated because of that. I think that's... The overconfidence in the bullshit draws a line between time capsule and actually dated. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. And unfortunately, a lot of 90s comedies fall victim to that. Mm Mm-hmm. But again, like you said, can you even call this a comedy? I mean, it, that's that's the I most... laughed at a couple things Burt Reynolds did. I really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's it, dude. And even then, like, that's another example of like the tonal problem. Because... You almost laugh because of the absurdity of it, because it's Burt Reynolds walking around in a cowboy hat, smothered in Vaseline. <laughs> I like him going between my toes. <laughs> <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Though that is, that's more horror than anything in Deliverance, yeah, is him rough. covered in Vaseline. <laughs> no offense, Bert, but that wasn't the shining yeah. moment, pun intended, <laughs> of your career. But but yeah, I mean, this was also, like, it was a very easy target movie because Showgirls was such a flop the previous year. It was one of those that, like, the Razzies picked on, because it's like, oh, it's... Fuck like something the Razzies. Really, fuck the Razzies so much. I hate just, the Razzies so much. It's, it's just pick on the easy target. That's what this yeah. is. I mean, it's an easy target of a movie. But... It is still a genuinely terrible movie just because of all the problems we're talking about. Especially just stuff like the climax of this movie. I didn't know this until I was doing research. That like I, but I still felt like was this completely reshot? And yes, it was. <laughs> the ending yeah. is complete. The climax was completely redone in post because apparently it wasn't comedic enough, and that's where it feels like the comedy feels even more forced because stuff like Robert Patrick thinking that like oh the sugar thing is. Um, a coffee machine, and he's like, I said no sugar! 
Didn't they, they have to throw a real shitty wig on her or something like that? I remember hearing. Yeah, because that was like right as she was doing GI Jane. So and you could was tell because she's fucking ripped in this movie too. Like That's you could true. tell she was already at that GI Jane workout. Well, and especially more ripped in the climax than she is even in like the final scene of the movie. Isn't even it was from the original ending because it took place like a sugarcane field. That's right. why they're randomly in a sugarcane field at the ending. For whatever oh, yeah. reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's people in handcuffs and shit. You're like, what is going on? Yeah, and she looks noticeably less ripped and has more authentic hair in that scene. <laughs> I feel because we're talking about this movie, we kind of got to address it. Mm-hmm. Demi Moore is a very attractive woman. She always has been. Yes. However, in this movie, nah, I don't know if it's because of the care. I think the character ruined it for me. Like... I don't know how to describe it. Like, I just couldn't get behind it. Like, I'm like, nah, I'm... I just don't like her in this movie. I don't like her character. I think she makes horrible decisions. She does very stupid things. But they want to make her the moral compass of the movie, which is the and, problem. Right, but, and it's so poorly done. You want to be behind her, because, like, struggling sure. single mother, her, married to an asshole. Douchebag criminal. Right, and she, you know, she's working at a, a demeaning job, but she's trying to get by. That's classic, like protagonist you want to get behind. You but know, that's did... another problem I have with this movie too. That you brought it up. <laughs> so she knows she's working at a demeaning job. She's ashamed of what she does in front of her daughter. Yet she still brings her daughter there. But then, in that case, she's insulting every other one of the dancers in the movie. Yeah, it's shitty because it's like. Then these people, they're just portrayed as morons and bimbos with big boobs. They're written that way, too. It's fake, then, how she is with them. Because if she thinks what they what she does is demeaning, then she's got to think what they do is demeaning and that they're worthless. I completely agree that's the thing, is that they want to make her the hero you can get behind, but ultimately make her so smug and above everybody when it's like, fuck you, lady. Like, don't, don't bitch about fucking what Ving Rhames is doing or women are doing to get by. In any way, it just feels, yeah, I agree. It makes her out to be such an asshole in a way that I don't think Demi Moore really deserved. And it's a movie that pretty much was like, G.I. Jane kind of brought her back a bit, but this was like a big blow that ultimately kind of like poisoned a lot of her career, especially into the late 90s. Oh, 100%. 100%. In fact, I don't know that she ever really recovered. Nah, it was just pretty much G.I. Jane. (laughs) Like, that's the only really yeah, bright spot I can think of. And then, I think there was, like, Disclosure with Michael Douglas. Okay. And then she popped up in that Mr. Brooks with Kevin Costner. Right. She was in the Charlie's Angels sequel. But, I mean, that's, like, it. I can't, literally can't think of anything she's really been in of note. I think it didn't help it also around that same time Courtney Cox became the Demi Moore. <laughs> like, she yeah, took that of. mantle pretty yeah. much. Because, like, this is the same year as, like, Scream. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so yeah, she kind of like swooped in and took that. Took the black hair, blue eyed, you know, ex- almost exotic looking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah lo- the, right. the lovable Hollywood brunette. Um, mm-hmm. That's what she kind of became. Well, yeah, we got to I... talk more about the man of the hour. I mean, of course, we really do. Because, but you know, I, this is what I was going to say. With like his character sure. is, I think the pinnacle example of how the movie doesn't quite know what it wants to do. But I think Bert knows what he's doing. That's the thing, is it feels like the cast is working against the writing and the directing and everything else. Because mm-hmm. Bert is playing it, I think, the way it should be, which is this, like, very, silly. like, well, silly, but also on 
surface level, like, underneath, very creepy. Like, all the thing about taking the lint and shit like that. Oh, like, so gross. Right, which is like... Um, I made but, love to it. Yeah, but, like, oh, like he's, he's playing this, I think, darkly comedic, pathetic character that the movie should be going for, but the movie almost wants to have that both ways where he's that guy, but they kind of want to make him lovable, too, the way the role is written. It just, it, it doesn't, it's like I said, the identity crisis of this movie, just like he doesn't know what the fuck he wants to do, but Bert knows what he wants to do, and I think that's what makes him, like, the salvageable part of this movie, pretty much. Like, I love the bit where he's dancing to Dino, and he's like, you like Dino? He's like, I brought my own music, do you like the artist formerly known as Prince? And there's that pause, and he's like, I care about you. <laughs> I like what you like. <laughs> or when he's like, welcome, welcome, trips over. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 100 right. He's hamming it up, man. Mm-hmm. And this that's how this movie should have been. It should have almost been a spoof of Showgirls, in a way. But like I said, he's the only one that's going for it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not taking it seriously. He's not taking himself seriously at all. Obviously, you can't take yourself seriously and walk around covered in Vaseline. He's fully committing, even if the material is garbage. Right. Um, and, and, but and that's it. he's the only one that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody else is committed, but they're all playing it serious, except maybe a Ving Rhames or the other dancers. And I think that's where the, this movie is just a mess. Like we've said over and over, it, it, there's Burt Reynolds is the only shining light of this of this just horrible film that has literally no idea what it wants to be. I think if you want a better example of Burt kind of playing an authority figure in a small role, that also it also came out this year, uh, Alexander Payne's Citizen Ruth, where he plays the church leader guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's amazing in that. He's got a very a much smaller role, but that's a movie that knows exactly what he is. Like, there's a whole bit where he's, like, because... Um, Laura Dern plays a woman who is trying to get an abortion, and they're trying Jesus. to convince her not to get an abortion. And he does a whole. They, his aide says, played by Kurtwood Smith, by the way, says, um, um, "You know, we oh. should give her fifteen thousand dollars to show that we care about him, the baby after it comes out of the womb." And he's like, "Now, come on, here. That's just vile and despicable. That doesn't. That just makes us seem like we're taking the cowardly way out. We should offer her thirty thousand dollars." <laughs> 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 because yeah this is we should also talk about the fact that you know we mentioned Burton his heyday with the 70s 90s not a very good time for him no he was, was he was nothing right here he was he was mostly a joke this is when he was going through his divorces and his bankruptcies later on and a few other things but i think that's the thing is that we mentioned in this very terrible movie he is a shining spot that just beacons through even if it's with just the lowest material possible. Oh, yeah, really, really shitty material. Well, with that, I think we should start getting into our final thoughts on striptease. What about you? Yes, um, you know, I'll, I'll start by saying okay. that, um, you know, I am a defender of Showgirls as a fascinating failure of a movie to watch. Showgirls is a movie I would love to cover on this show because Showgirls feels... Maybe more of the opposite of this, where I think the actors have no idea what they're doing, but Paul Verhoeven knows exactly what he's doing, and it's completely against what the script thinks it's doing. <laughs> like, it's at every single, like, it's a three-way stop, and everything collides together, but it's this fascinating movie you can't stop watching, versus Striptease is a movie where, 
everybody involved clearly is going in different directions. But it's not like a cataclysm, it's just an awkward fender bender that, like, stops up the road for some reason, and you're stuck there for two fucking hours on the highway, which, by the way, uh, this movie being two hours long is a crime. Outrageous. <laughs> Why the fuck is this two hours long? I don't know. Why is it more than, like, 80 minutes long? 80 minutes! 80 minutes! 90 max with the credits. <laughs> like, comedies rarely need to go beyond, like, 90 minutes anyway. And this yeah. is a perfect example of it, because it's like you mentioned, it's so gangly, it's so... It's weirdly, it's based on a book, and apparently it's very faithful to the book, but the book was, like, a bestseller. And I'm maybe it blends those genres a lot better in book form, on the page, than maybe, it ever does in film form. Did this and, make you want to read the book? No. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. Uh, this makes me not want to read. Do not just, want to read. <laughs> it doesn't make me want to read. Tom Sturry, put that on the 20th anniversary Blu-ray. Uh... <laughs> Um, but I mean, there's there's stuff like I don't I don't think anybody is doing necessarily like an uncommitted job in the cast. I think, like I said, I didn't mention a lot of the details of why, but this movie does get Florida very right. I think the backwoods elements of it, the 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 way that they actually use the Florida locations, like the Florida laundromat, um, is with the overcast skies. It's just like that brought me right back to so many moments of my childhood, especially in like the late 90s, early 2000s. It, it feels very accurate, especially the sh- trashier, seedier parts of Florida. Um, but if you want a better movie with that, watch The Florida Project. A great movie that came out last year. But yeah, uh, this is, it's a gangly mess that's not entertaining to watch, except for Bert. Bert, God bless you, you you tried to make this work. And we salute you for it, good sir. Yeah. Um, I can pretty much echo most of what you said. Um, Showgirls to me is a mess, but it is a fascinating mess. So that's one I wouldn't mind really talking about in in detail. But um, this movie is just not a fascinating mess. It is just a mess. Uh, like I said, it's a two hour movie about you know strippers, and you get thirty seconds of stripping, which they knew who this movie was marketed to and what it was marketed for. And they don't deliver on anything. Not even just nudity, but the comedy they don't deliver on. They don't deliver on anything. Burt Reynolds is the only thing in it, and he's good in it because everything else is so terrible. I guarantee you if this would have been a better movie, it would have been almost like, oh, man, is he overdoing it. But he's the only one that's even giving any kind of a shit overdoing it or not. So it makes him stand out even more. It's just, this is just a, it's just a bad movie. It's not funny. It's not exciting. It's not titillating. It's not suspenseful. It's not, you don't care about anybody in the movie. And if you can't care about a single character in the film, then what's the point of watching the movie? Uh, and fuck the book. I mean, I have no interest. <laughs> so, I mean, not even, because this movie, fuck a book. <laughs> take a look go fuck a book reading it's, rainbow it's just, it's just it's, this is just an all around stinker and, and two hours come on that's outrageous so yeah nah I, I'm good without this is I think the second time I've seen it possibly the third and I'm good with ever not watching it again yeah also just like we mentioned it like the lack of TNA um it just even on like the grossest level, it doesn't appease. Like the lowest common denominator factor doesn't even appease. 
Showgirls does that more in weird ways. Like, freaking Elizabeth Berkley having a sexy with Kyle McLaughlin while flopping like a fish in a pool. Or and... lap dancing him to completion. You're like, what? <laughs> someone's gotta be into that. <laughs> someone's, I guess. That's that's someone's fetish. This is nobody's fetish. Nobody's. On that note, that is the end of our Burt Reynolds episode uh, general discussion. Uh, but we got some feedback. We asked all of you out there uh, via our Facebook page and Twitter page at DEDBPod about your favorite and least favorite Burt Reynolds movies. Uh, Nate Thomas says Deliverance, Smokey and the Bandit, but I absolutely hate striptease. Um, this might be a show for you, except we did bash on Smokey and the Bandit a bit. A little bit. A, a little, little bit. bit. It's not, I don't. I don't hate Smokey and the Man. It's like I said, it is a movie that speaks so much to Sally Field and Burt Reynolds' very authentic chemistry. Because they're shine. They fucking shine together. In that yeah, movie. I don't I don't hate Smokey and the Bandit, but I don't understand its iconic status. Uh, Don Chambers says Smokey and the Bandit's son. Okay. Again. Fuck off. <laughs> um, Heather Thomas has to say, I love Silent Movie and Bean. Which, yeah, I forgot he was in both of those. Like, yeah. Silent Movie isn't my favorite Mel Brooks comedy, but his cameo was probably my favorite of any of them. Because of the whole stuff in the shower. He's looking at the mirror like, ooh, yeah, look at you, sexy. How you doing? Um, And Bean, I completely forgot he wasn't Bean. Yeah, he's like the general or something like that. Right. I mean, Bean, you know. eh. I mean, Rowan Atkinson in general is like very hit or miss for me. No, see, I like Rowan Atkinson. I like the Mr. Bean show more than I did the movie. See, I'm one of those weirdos who's watched Black Adder, which is oh, I liked Black Adder, dude. fucking great comedy. Yeah, my so that, that's my wife, dude. Black Adder, she said she used to rent it on VHS over and over and over and watch it over and over and over. That's like her favorite show. <laughs> it has my favorite Christmas Carol parody, <laughs> where everybody just like, what the world would be like if you weren't born? Oh, everyone's fucking happy. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, Tori DePina has this to say: uh, worst Dukes of Hazard, best Deliverance. Um, yeah, that Dukes of Hazard movie. He wasn't. Was he Boss Hog? I believe he was Boss Hog. Oh God! <sighs> Remember when we tried to make both Jessica Simpson and Johnny Knoxville a thing? Oh yeah. Well, at least jo- Johnny Knoxville is still popping up in movies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, mostly <sighs> mostly abusing himself. I think Action Point might have killed that part of his career, though. Yeah, maybe. Well, he was just in a fucking Jackie Chan movie last year. That's true, yeah. Which was like a huge mega grocer in China, so maybe he'll just go to China. Go. Go. <laughs> um, Jonathan Habdemichael shared a great clip that I completely forgot about, um, where he says, this is a cheat, but this fe- scene from the Twilight Zone episode, The Bard, with young Burt Reynolds channeling his best Marlon Brando, which if you've never seen it, there's an episode of the Twilight Zone called The Bard, where literally um, these young actors uh, basically kind of resurrect William Shakespeare, and Burt Reynolds the entire time, very young Burt Reynolds, is doing a Marlon Brando impression that's hysterical. <laughs> See, I don't think I've ever seen that one. I and mean, the, I'm sure I have. I've seen all the Twilight Zones. Right. But I, I don't remember that one. It's it's more of a comedic Twilight Zone episode, but it's, it's a very funny one, too. <laughs> Especially the clip that he shared where he's just like, let me ask you something. What do you hate so much about Stanislavski? <laughs> <laughs> 
very, very underrated episode of that show. Um, and then Riley Baldry, at Riley Baldry, has this to say about our Westerns episode from previous. If Jonah Hex was made today, I could see WB going all in and just making a blood meridian with superheroes. Jeffrey Dean Morgan was also in Batman v Superman for 15 seconds, which thankfully is the only thing I can remember about that entire film. Yeah, I think we referenced that, actually. That was one of, like, his many superhero movie roles. That's kind of a good idea, the Blood Meridian idea. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I just don't know that we need more Jonah Hex. Well, it doesn't help, though, so Blood Meridian, which you don't know is a Cormac McCarthy novel, yeah. um, has oh, had yeah. several attempts at being made into a movie. Constantly. <laughs> I think it's I think it's in production right now. Or- post or pre-production right now again i mean it's eternally it's development hell all over yes. the place um but i love the most recent attempt they announced with like vincent d'onofrio i love they announced it and then within 24 hours announced it had been like the production had stopped <laughs> like that's how cursed the production is yeah it's never gonna happen probably not no i've heard so much about that novel though and i like cormac mccarthy oh you've never read it i've never read the novel no uh, you gotta read it it's great I've heard, I've heard very good things. Uh, but thank you for all the feedback. Also, a few thanks. Uh, thanks to Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Uh, thanks to Emily Scarter for her art uh, that we used for the show. She accepts commissions at fiverrwith2rs.com slash eescarta. And uh, like we mentioned, Twitter and Facebook at dedbpod. You can find us there. You can email us at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. And we also have individual accounts on Twitter. I am not the Who's Tommy. And I am Malekithfan6969, but don't want me to be active on there because I got a new phone and never reinstalled the app. So I have no idea what's going on on there. <laughs> it's, it's just abandoned. Poor Malekith I mean, is on Twitter Island alone. There's like dust dust clouds rolling through it and stuff. <laughs> oh, look, there's a tumbleweed from our Western yeah. episode just in the middle of the... It's still <laughs> um, And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, rate and review us uh, to give the show more visibility. You know, give us five stars, give us a bit of a little read-through, see, like, these guys are dumb, but they're fun. Give us a one star. I don't care. Give us anything. We'll probably read on the show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't give a care if it's constructive at this point. No, we we do not care. But um, on that note, it's time uh, we just mosey on down the river. Adam, get ready to get the paddle. Uh, God. Double 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 down. Good night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> <laughs>